Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights, here with Jeff Wilson, Sports Card Investor. We're going to talk about analytics. And, you know, most of my episodes are titled with truth and packaging that if that sounds interesting to you, fasten your seatbelt. We're going to have a great time over 15 minutes talking about analytics in this hobby, in this industry with, with somebody that's really uh, studied it. I'm kind of in the old school of last century, but Jeff is up to the minute. So first, thanks sponsors, Tops, Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Hugging the Scott Auctions, Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, ComC.com, as well as Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So analytics, I want to go back and forth with you, Jeff. I've read with interest some of the things you've done in your market mover uh, tool. I want to talk about that and other things because you are a man on the move. You're not just the market movers. You're doing stuff. You're out there and you're continuing to enhance and improve. And it's already a useful product. So thank you for your contributions to analytics and taking things to the next level, especially with the timeliness of the data, which is something that was our was really tough when you're doing a print publication that's covering all the cards. So thanks for what you're doing. Welcome to the show. And um, let's talk about analytics. Sure. Happy to talk about analytics. I think analytics make a big difference right now in the sports card hobby. In Within market movers, uh, within all the data that we look at from eBay sales, one thing that I've noticed that has struck me very strongly in the last in the last several months is how how one card, maybe a key card in a key grade for a particular player will oftentimes begin to move in price, start to go up in price. And then there's a little bit of a delay. And then you start to see other cards of that player start to move. And it could be other, it could be other uh, grades of the same card that start to move a little more slowly, or it could be other variations or even other sets of the same, you know, players, uh, rookie card or something of that nature. And so I think, you know, one form of analytics that I like to look at is what the ratio is between all of these different types of cards and grades to keep an eye on things and to and to see when maybe there's something off in terms of you know the what that ratio normally looks like and then what that ratio actually looks like at this moment for a particular card. Well, I knew you were going there and uh, we looked at ratios when we're doing the price guides back in the day to try to make sense of it. You can't you if if pricing cards what, whether what I was doing or what you're doing was completely formulaic, they wouldn't need your podcast, they wouldn't need your tool, they wouldn't need an online or a print price guide because you would just know, you just follow the formula. So it's not formulaic, there are exceptions and there are market imbalances. And But here's the issue that, that's come up. And I, I when we've talked about whether there'll be a correction in our industry, and I'm saying it's not about whether there will be, there will be one. But here's the nature of the correction that you're going to be helpful with. And that is that when you, the way you talk about this, looking at the PSA 10 and then the PSA 9 looks like a bargain and all that. Almost all the examples that you give and that most people give are when the PSA 10 gets way up there, then it makes the 9 look like a bargain. When there's a correction in the industry, what's going to happen is that the PSA 9 is going to be the established price, for example, and the 10 is going to look overpriced because enough cards have been graded that things have settled in and people say, you know what, if I can get a nine for this, it's already happening somewhat now with a few cards. So the ratio is absolutely one thing to look at, but if it's too high or too low, that may, may be, it could be a problem with the numerator or the denominator. And so when there's a correction, I don't think it's gonna be a crash on Michael Jordan cards. It's gonna be, I'm not willing to pay that, that ratio. I'm not paying four times as much for a 10 as I am for a nine. And that actually can be healthy. So the ratio can work both ways. It can pull something up, which is what has been happening now, or it could pull something down. So do you want to respond to that? Is that, I mean, maybe I'm, maybe you're already doing that, but that's, I think there's a lot of blue sky that things are going up and they generally are. 
Yeah, no, that's fair. You know, we did have, uh, it would be interesting to go back and look at the last few weeks of March, because that's the only time, that's the only time in recent memory where we actually saw prices dip consistently across a number of cards, right? We did, you know, according to my data, we typically saw somewhere between a 20 to 40% uh, price decrease across across most of the cards that we're tracking that last few weeks of March of this year due to the pause in sports and, and you know, people suddenly being uncertain about the economy and everything of that nature. It would be interesting to look at the, you know, what the ratios did during those times. And if, if uh, what you just suggested in terms of like, did the PSA 10s actually pull back quicker because they were the ones that were more expensive compared to the PSA 9s, just as an example, or the, or the BGS 10s compared to the BGS 9.5s, however you might want to look at that. that. That'd be interesting to look at. And I, I don't have that data on the top of my fingertips, but it is kind of nice to be able to have a full cycle of data to look at. Whereas for, for a long time, we only had data in, in a market where everything was going up. We do actually have a few weeks that we can examine of data in a market where things started to go back down. Well, okay. I think that that's good. Anyway, my point is whether you're doing trends or ratios, whatever, especially your excellent graphs that you provide that make it really easy to see what the card is now and what it was. But you know, you can get into trouble if you extend the line into the future. That may happen. It may even be likely that it'll happen, but there's no sure things that it'll just because something's gone up three weeks in a row or eight weeks in a row. It, it may be it may be due for an adjustment. And the, like I said, the ratio could work either way. It could be that there's so many cool cards in the industry that when, when something is perceived to be a little bit overpriced, people can find substitutes very easily. Very easy. Yeah, that is true. And especially, you- especially now with modern cards, it's, it's more, more, you know, more than than ever, right? Where you've got uh, so many different sets, so many different variations that, you know, people can move in a lot of different ways. You know, the analytics that I did were kind of like the, the big matrix and it's a three-dimensional matrix and going down the uh, left-hand side, uh, like the x-axis, uh, what would that be? That'd be the, well, anyway, going down the left has three-dimensional. Going down the left-hand side, it's the player. And then going across the top is the set or the, you know, the type of card that it is. And then the third dimension is condition. And so what you've done is you've narrowed it down to some, you know, what I've seen and what people normally do. They collect their players and they collect their sets and they collect in certain conditions. So it's a manageable, it's not a Rubik's Cube, but it's a three-dimensional thing that's manageable. When I was doing the price guides, you know, it was all the players, all the products in every condition. And it's, it's hard to be encyclopedic like that. But what people care about the most, when people say that your price guide or your materials are accurate... They're mainly looking at the at the cards that they're most familiar with and most interested in, which is really what you're tracking. And so the analytics yeah. here are really important. But we would look, we would see equivalences between products as well as between players. Are you uh, encouraging that or emphasizing that? Because if you can see that two players are Siamese twins, or two products are very very similar in character, and when one goes up, then the other perhaps would follow. I mean, are you making it easy to do those things? 100%. And so to, to do those types of comparisons, I think you hit it where it's you got player, you got grade, and then you got product, which could include sometimes variation or that type of thing, as well as the set and the year. What I like to do is isolate two of the three variables. And that's what our software does. Our software says, okay, let's isolate. We can either isolate player and variation or, and set, and then we can look across all the different grades to see how they're comparing, or we can isolate the set and the grade but then look across all the players. So if you want to do a comparison of like, okay, within this set, within this grade, here's how all of these players compare to each other. That's another interesting, you know, set of, of ratios to look at. Or another thing you can do is you can isolate the player and you can isolate the grade, but then you can look across the different sets 
and say, well, isn't that interesting that a, you know, that his prism card is double in price from his optic card, whereas another player of his same ilk, his prism card is only one and a half times his optic card or something of that nature. So I think if you can isolate two of the three and then look and then variable the third and then look at what that looks like from a ratio and analytics perspective and then do that multiple times across either multiple players or multiple sets or multiple grades, that's where you can get some really interesting comparative data that I think can expose some inefficiencies in the marketplace. Are you doing, again, this is, you know, you don't have to disclose this, but I mean, to what extent are your picks kind of a push attempt for things that have surfaced through your, through your software? Well, I have softened on actually giving out picks of specific cards because the subscriber base has gotten big and I don't want to encourage an environment where a lot of people run out and buy a card just because I, you know, pick a specific card. Instead, I want to encourage education and research and give people the tool set to be able to make informed decisions on their own. Now, I do still do a weekly column where I talk about where, but I've changed the column. It used to be, I used to do a card pick of the week. And now I've changed that to say cards I'm buying and selling and why. And it's, and I've included four other authors in the column as well. And all five of us, and this is something for our members. This is behind our member program, our paywall. All five of us write about cards we're buying or selling and what our thought process is as to why we're making that decision. And, and, and what I'm hoping is that people don't just go out and, and blindly, you know, buy a card because it, it's in the article, but rather that people think about the reasoning why we're making a recommendation and that they learn from that. And then that, and that they're able to then access data and analytics on their own through our market movers platform or through other platforms. Uh, and then they're able to use that information to be able to make informed decisions. Okay. Uh, I got one last question, I think. Uh, you had a, somebody did an article on your site and it was about the size of the market. And I'm sure you read it because it's on your site. What did you think about that? And what do you think the size of the market is for sports cards? And then <laughs> that's, that's, I've got to, I will answer after you. I want to give you first, first dibs, but. You, you might, I mean, and you might have a, a better, a better idea. So one interesting thing about the size of the market with sports cards that makes it, that makes it difficult to measure is are you counting every time a car gets resold and resold and resold and resold again, right? And because obviously over the course of a year, a card can get resold multiple times. And so if you're counting that, you know, with each transaction, then obviously that makes the market larger and larger and larger, the more throughput of volume of resell and flipping of cards there is. I believe, I, I, I would say that with confidence, I could say if we're counting all of that activity with confidence, I believe it's at least a $2 billion market right now. And I, my best guess would be, in that ballpark, uh, well, honestly, I put it north of that. I, I bet I would guess three billion as a market size. And my reasoning behind that is is I, I know eBay does a huge volume. I know they, you know, their category is is their sports car category is very very large. Yeah. Then you've got you know some other big players in the market like Homsi, which don't do nearly the volume eBay does, but it's still significant what they're doing. Then you've got the manufacturers that are producing the product to begin with, selling to the distributors. And, and, and then you've got obviously the retail that's taking place at retail start stores and hobby shops across the nation. I'm confident all of that adds up to at least $2 billion, And I would not be surprised if it's you know a decent amount beyond that. I'm looking at it in a different way because I, I think it's way, way more than that. But I take your point. But I think eBay is doing a lot more than a couple billion, although there's some churning in there. I'm not denying that. But if we were to, you know, and again, if I was going to get another degree and write another thesis or dissertation, which I'm not, if you had the United States of baseball cards or United States of sports cards and treated it as a nation with a with a gross national product, with, you know, the kind of a P&L, the assets, the, the balance sheet, all this kind of stuff. 
I think the number we're not even I don't even know that we're looking at it the right way. I think the number is way, way more than that. And it, it does include churning, but those are those are sales. That's not the number I'm concerned about. The number I'm concerned about is with this latest infl- in inflation of prices is the total value of all the cards. Mm-hmm. I think that's more than 100 billion. And that's what's scary to me. If, if, if one recent card, 17 years old, can be worth uh, you know, a, bill, a million eight, and you try to, if you try to corner the market on all the LeBron cards, you, know, you could be talking about $100 million right there in terms of the, of the, of the value. Uh, or e- even more, maybe. It's, yeah, it's, I think it would be. I think it would actually be more than that. So, yeah, I think a hundred billion dollars in cards out there. If somebody was a trillionaire and said, "I'm going to buy all the cards," I don't think they could do it for hundred billion. What we're talking about is the float. We're talking about what what's changing hands in a year, and if that goes up from five billion this year to six billion next year, that's not a big deal. If there's a hundred billion in play, it's like a stock that's thinly traded. There's a lot of cards out there. So it's not like there's 10 billion cards in exi- 10 billion dollars worth of cards and five of them, five million are changing hands every year. A very very small percentage are changing hands and some of the and what's problematic in the analysis is that some are changing hands a lot in a month. I mean they're going back and forth and flipping several times a year. So anyway, I'm not sure how to do that, Jeff. I just thought I'd bring that up with you because you're interested in these things. So it's a fascinating question. I, and I, I don't, yeah, it, it's a fascinating question. I, you could do the study across the value of one particular player. I, there is a, a website, Roto Grinders, that's in the fantasy sports world that's gotten into sports cards recently. And I've done some collaborative projects with them. And what they've done, which I thought was kind of an interesting study on their website, was they try to figure out the uh, PSA market cap for a certain player's rookie cards is what they call it. And they're, you know, they're taking. And that's just the rookie cards. So that's just the rookie cards, right. And I some of the numbers, like for Luka Doncic or LeBron, they were coming up with upwards of 100 million as their market cap. I think it might have been north of that for LeBron and that was but that was just for his most popular uh rookie cards. I think there are probably some other variations in that that they didn't include inside their study and it was only PSA graded. So there were it, it probably is well beyond what what their study showed, but it was still a kind of an interesting way of looking at things and in, in an interesting comparative between different players. We're out of time, and I'm really sad because I, we could go on, but that, that's enough for now. I want to get some listener feedback. You may, I mean, you're welcome to take this and run with it, but basically, I'm just going to go on the record of saying I think there's more than $5 billion worth of cards sold the, the last few years each year, and I think the market cap is over $100 billion. And so as long if there's a 5% float, that's, that's good. If it goes up to 10%, is that going to be an oversupply? I don't think so. If it goes down to 4%, but it's a bigger hobby than what we think.